Say football begins their bye week licking their literal and figurative wounds after a loss to the Iowa Hawkeyes at Kinnick Stadium. Welcome to BWI Live. It's our Monday show, and we are recapping Penn State's loss to Iowa 23-20. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. Joining me today on the panel, we have Greg Pickle, our uh, reporter for Blue White Illustrated, and, of course, Dave Eckert with us again, uh, another reporter. You're both reporters. You're both excellent reporters at Blue White Illustrated. So, gentlemen, thanks for joining me on the show today. Good to be here, T. Frank. Yeah, T. Frank, I'm excited to get into it. Uh, it's going to be, there's a there's a lot to get into. So that for sure is going to be uh, something we talk about today with several of the uh, issues and injuries for Penn State football. Uh, none more important, obviously, than Sean Clifford and his injury in the second quarter. Uh, so before we get to that, though, I just want to get your initial thoughts about the game and what you saw on Saturday. So, Greg, we haven't heard from you in a while on the BWI uh, show here on Monday. Give us your thoughts. Well, I think the biggest takeaway for me, I just don't know where else you start, Dave. You had it on the rundown, but we're all going to talk about the impact of losing Sean Clifford and what Taquan Roberson's future is like. I mean, that's kind of where we're going to take this uh, show today because there's nowhere else to take it. We can talk about the bye week. We can talk about what went right and what went wrong at Iowa on offense, on defense, on special teams, in the coaching department, what have you. But there's no real other topic that everyone wants to discuss, everyone wants to know more about, and everyone's curious about as it relates to the second half of this season than Sean Clifford. So that's the big takeaway for me. I have no doubt that Penn State wins that game comfortably if Clifford stays in, but he didn't. And Penn State, uh, when Taquan Roberson came in, just could not function even a little bit on offense for a majority of his time on the field. And that led us to where we are today, a 5-1 and one Penn State team that has a lot to figure out leading into the bye week and then, of course, after it. This is a challenging schedule, and we don't know, and I don't know when we'll know, probably not for a while, exactly what's up with Sean Clifford. So that's the talking point right now. Uh, Dave, can you say those words in a different order? Uh, that's your challenge right now. Go. <laughs> sure. Um, here, here's where I'll go with, uh, every, every Sunday I have the distinct joy of combing through everything that's been written about the game for our, uh, what, what they're saying article. And I could not believe some of the stuff that's being written, uh, about, about the game. It's, it's like Sean Clifford going out is a, is a footnote in, in some of these stories. It's like, yeah, the, the Iowa defense was great. The Iowa played elite field position game. Iowa made a big play when they had to, and that's all true. But with, without the context of Penn State lost the player that makes everything work, it's irrelevant. How is that not the main takeaway for you? Uh, I, I thought that was extremely confusing, to be totally honest with you. I'm, I'm writing about that a little bit in my Monday column. But, uh, yeah, that's that's the story. Uh, Penn State lost its quarterback. Um and everything went south, and they took about 75,000 false start penalties on the way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit later in the show when we discuss the offensive line and kind of some of the projections. Because as Greg said, we don't know 
and we probably won't know for a while. I mean, we're not going to know this week about Sean Clifford's injury prognosis for the rest of the season or even for the next week. So we'll dig into some mild hypotheticals about what might be, what might not be. Uh, and and we'll start, I guess, with this one because Ryan uh, shoots out of the gate right now with this question in the chat. And by the way, this is a great time to mention, if you want to get a question on the show and you feel like donating to the channel, Ryan, one of our awesome participants here, he's going to ask a question with the Super Chat function. If you want to do that, if you want to donate to the channel, keep this boat afloat. Uh, all you have to do is donate what you think is uh, we're worth. Uh, we'll live up to that and more. And then you can ask your question. So Ryan says, do you think resting Sean Clifford and other players against Illinois is a smart idea to get everyone healthy for Ohio State? I have some thoughts about this, but I'll let you guys go first. Uh, Greg, take it no. away. Right. No. <laughs> No, I don't. I mean, I think that I get it, right? You know, obviously, if Sean Clifford's not 100%, I don't think you rush him out there. If any of these other guys who were hurt, I don't think you rush them out there. But it's not Villanova. It's just not. And I know Illinois is the bottom of the barrel Big Ten team, but it's not a good time, especially when you're getting ready for Ohio State, to be sitting guys just hoping they don't get hurt. It's just right. not the way football works. It's not the way... Uh, luck works or anything like that so no I don't see that being a viable way of going about this for Penn State Dave yeah I agree um, I would add that Illinois is especially if Sean Clifford plays which at this point is a very large if but Illinois is the type of a type of team that you can get up three scores on at halftime and maybe think about getting your guys some off their feet in the second half. Mm -hmm. Certainly, I'm not doing that from the beginning of the game, um, but I, I do think that maybe you can you can get to a point where your guys are playing two and a half quarters. Yeah, uh, if if. So the, there's there's a couple of things that I, I talked about this post game as well. Tom Hannafin brought up this idea of if you're it, it don't play the important guys against Ball State or Villanova and don't play them against Illinois. And while I understand the the idea behind that, and there is some credence if they are injured. So there's a difference between if those guys are injured and it's 50-50 and it's Illinois and you feel like that's a position like Noah Kane if he's not fully healthy. Do you give some other guys a chance there? But if you're set, if you're sitting healthy players and you're James Franklin that says every game means the same and then you're not treating Illinois like a Power 5 football program, that flies in the face of your mantra and everything you've built. It, you can lose players, you can lose teams by being disingenuous in that way, especially when you demand so much of them and to see then, okay, well... Uh, X isn't playing because he's more important than I am. I'm still playing. Like, you know, the, the the repercussions of that, aside from the fact of Illinois is a Power 5 football program, are you after what you saw this weekend, are you sure that Penn State starting their best players can beat Illinois? The transfer portal, injuries, just depth and youth that are on football teams now. Do you really want to risk not playing guys at the beginning of a football game and then having no recourse? Like, you can't just go, so, oh, okay, just kidding, Sean. Put the pads on. You're coming out at halftime. That's an even worse plan. So, that's that to me, that's the non-starter when it comes to this particular conversation. You guys, you know, and, and it is an idea of, like, the load management thing that's been brought up a couple times. Greg, you were there post-game. James's reaction to those comments was what? 
well, I mean, you're talking about the load management the last time we brought it up at home. Yes, yes. Yeah, he's not really about that. Um, I do get it, though. I mean, I think one of the things we're going to get to do during the bye week here is take a look at the season-long snap counts. And you do see some of that, particularly for Jaquan Brisker. You can call it whatever you want to call it, load management, resting, spelling, whatever. Um, but there's no question that they have, in instances where they feel like they can get away with it, maybe played him a little bit less because I do think that – he was pretty banged up after that Wisconsin game, and he's probably still dealing with some of that stuff. I'm just speculating on that. But when you kind of put all the pieces together, it makes the most sense. But, yeah, for the most part, they're not going to load manage the entire roster. They, you just can't, uh, especially coming out of a bye week. So let's get into <laughs> the, the questions about this game and the questions that have uh, populated the chat so far. They're, they're pretty angry today, T. Frank. Pretty it, right. Angry. Pretty angry. Uh, I'm going to come back to you on this one, Greg, and we're just going to ask the question that has been asked a thousand times. Uh, it is, by the way, what I'm going to be talking about in the BWI Daily Edition today as well, going in-depth on that. Why wasn't Taquan Roberson ready for prime time? What are your thoughts on that situation? I guess the more I think about this, and I had a long time to think about it, listening to you and Tom while driving back from Iowa to Chicago, which is not something you should do at 2 in the morning, just in case anybody was wondering. But anyway. I'm glad you guys are alive, by the way. <laughs> yeah, we listened to pretty much every BWI Daily and the post-game show from the week before, and we got through it. So uh, YouTube.com slash Blue White Illustrated if you ever got to do the same. But yeah, I mean, I look at it like this, guys. I don't know if the prevailing thought here is – why wasn't Taquan Roberson ready? Because that implies that your backup quarterback should be ready to go into a road top five matchup against a number two now team in the country and perform just like your starter, which there's not many instances across the country of that being the case. So you use the word ready kind of, I think that's framing it wrong. I think the question is, if Sean Clifford and Taquan Roberson are treated the same in practice, which we assume that they are, why were some of the things such as the snap count taking so long to get fixed? And why were, uh, you know, the offensive players? I mean, I get there's a comfort factor, but these guys know who Taquan Roberson is. It's not like he's a true freshman. You know, if you put Christian Bayor in and there was a lot of this stuff, okay, but Taquan Roberson's been around for a while. So why was there such confusion, it seemed, about what – was going on, especially up front. So that is just the kind of the bigger thing to me is that I understand that you use the word ready. People want to kind of focus on that. And I get it because right. he wasn't, but who would be? Right. And, and particularly with what they were trying to do offensively, the specific game plan that Sean Clifford, it's designed for the starting quarterback, that he is yeah. operating, Taquan Roberson clearly by the results could not operate that system. So, Dave, then the question becomes to you, if Sean Clifford misses an extended period of time, what are the chances for this offense? Should you take what happened in the second half of that game as a harbinger of things to come, or will they be able to work something out for the offense to operate in a different way? Yeah, I, I would not expect Penn State's offense to have the same... To, to, to want to do the same things with, with Taquan Roberson under center as it did with Sean Clifford, right? Um, we saw, we saw uh, last season, once Penn State decided that it couldn't trust its quarterback, we saw what they did to the offense. And granted, that was Kirk Shiraka's offense, not Mike Yersich's. But still, uh, I, I think that might be a little bit closer to what we see. We see a, a ground-based offense. And again, 
I, I don't know how well that's that's going to go, given the way that Penn State's run the ball. But I, I would be very surprised if um, Taquan Roberson plays the same style of offense as what we saw under Sean Clifford, provided that he's you know got to start a game or two here. So uh, first off, thanks, Stephen, for uh, always tuning in and showing up for the BWI live shows. Uh, that then, I guess, is the question of if they have to augment the offense and if this is a part of the DNA going forward, what, uh, I guess I know this is a rephrasing of the previous question, but what should you expect then of the offense for a team that was maybe they had some efficiency issues, but scored points in every single quarter, except for the first two of the season until this past weekend. So what can you expect of that side of the football with Taquan Roberson. Uh, Greg, back to you on that one. Yeah, let me just go off script here for just a second, T. Frank, because there's a lot of chatter in the comment section right now about the Sean Clifford Instagram post, which I'm not sure if anyone got to see it before we started recording, but it said, uh, let me find it here. Uh, In life moments will come and go. Trials will come and go. It's memories. It's the memories with the people around you that live forever. Time to create more memories. Hashtag B2B, which we're assuming is back to business. So, you know, what does that mean? What are you trying to decipher there? I don't know. I'm not trying to decipher anything on social media, but, yeah. uh, you know, that's... You remember high school? Remember play. remember being in high school and vague booking? Well, maybe this is just of the period. That sounds a lot like what used to happen when you would just put some random bait into the water, some random status, and you're like, you were expecting somebody to go, hey, what's what's up? What's the matter? What's going on? That's very much how that feels to me. <laughs> Yeah, so I just wanted to address that because it is in the chat. And, uh, you know, in terms of the offense here moving forward, if it's Taquan Roberson, I mean, I guess it's going to look a little bit different. I would agree with Dave that in a perfect world, you would like to go to a run-based offense, but Penn State can't run the ball. And Iowa, I think the one Iowa player had, I don't have the quote sheet with me anymore. I left it at Kinnick, but I think he more or less said that, look, we just kind of figured out that they couldn't throw the ball. So we just sat back and waited for them to have to do that and prayed on everything when they tried to run or do the short stuff. And, you know, I think you said it well on the postgame show. It's that read option, one read offense. If that's what they're going to go to, that's fine. But you're going to play in a telephone booth, basically, and it's not going to work. Might work against Illinois. Isn't going to work against Ohio State if it comes to that point. And again, I think we need to stress that we don't know yet what is Sean Clifford's status this week, next week, moving forward. I mean, again, the one thing I would say is that obviously it was pretty bad for him to not be able to come back into that game because I'm certain that he would do everything he possibly could to get back into that game. So that's kind of my main takeaway at this point. Uh, focusing on at least what was happening pre-injury and, and and what was, I guess, the game proper to a lot of Penn State fans of what's a real a real measurement of Penn State versus Iowa as it was. Dave, what were you seeing of Sean Clifford operating the Penn State offense versus the Iowa defense? What was your evaluation of him up until the hit? Yeah, I thought he looked great. Um, he had that that one interception to start uh, the game or, or on Penn State's first drive. I guess Iowa had the ball first. But yeah, outside outside of that, I mean, I thought he looked, he looked in command. Um, he was making all the throws that he had to. He was hurting them with his legs. I thought Penn State's offense looked pretty poised to take apart the Iowa defense, to be honest. Um, <laughs> you know, and it's it sounds crazy to say that given given the score at the end. But I, I again, I just I thought Penn State was going to win that game by 10 points, 12, 14 points, somewhere in there. Um, I thought 
You know, they were getting the ball to Jahan Dotson, who really didn't get much after after Clifford's injury. Um, Keandre Lambert-Smith looked good. Parker Washington was involved. I, I thought the offense was clicking. And, you know, I think we kind of answered the question. I think Penn State is better than Iowa if everybody's at, at full strength. I don't, I don't really know that there's a ton of debate to be had there. So I think it's just unfortunate uh, what, what happened um, to Clifford. So one last kind of broad topic, spent a lot of time talking about both quarterbacks today. How much does this being the first year and the accelerated pace under Mike Yersich's offense to get Sean Clifford ready, how much does that affect Taquan Roberson in this situation, in your opinion? And if this happens next year, if this were to happen in 2022 in a similar situation with guys that are presumably in the program for an extended period of time, do you think this has the same outcome as far as the production on the field from the backup quarterback? Is that first year under the new coordinator, is that a part of this that you think is a fair or unfair part to bring up when evaluating Taquan Roberson? Uh, Dave, back to you with that. Yeah, I, I think it's a it's a factor, certainly. But but back to what Greg said before, I don't think there are very many backup quarterbacks outside of Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, where you throw them into a game against Iowa's defense on the road and it looks much better than that, um, especially on a team that, as we've talked about, can't run the football very well. So I, I guess certainly we can add it to the equation, uh, the, the fact that this is his first year under this offense and you know, maybe he hasn't been the most important apprentice, uh, I guess, for, for Mike Yersich, because granted, you want your starting quarterback to, to know what he's doing, right? Um, but uh, still, I just, I, I, I think just generally the, the recipe was not a good one for, for Mr. Robeson. I don't, I don't think that's the determining factor. So then I'm going to ask you, Greg, a follow-up question to that. Is, has this been a wise process for Penn State football to develop an offense and a game plan that is so dependent on the quarterback? Even considering how important quarterbacks are in college football, there are other teams that play with less emphasis on the passing game proper. Has it been a wise strategy for Penn State to do what they've done so far this year, knowing what the risks were? Yeah, I think that the answer to that question will be better answered if Taquan Roberson has to play against Illinois and we see what that offense looks like. If they're able to adjust on the fly with a week of preparation, then I think that it's not that big of a deal. If not, obviously, different story. But to me, the bigger factor here is that Taquan Roberson is, of course, a different quarterback than Sean Clifford. I'd argue he's different than Christian Mayor, too. And so that's one thing that's going to stand in the way here is that you're not necessarily going to run an offense for Taquan Roberson the same way you are for Sean Clifford. So ultimately, though, the problem that we keep kind of getting close to but not touching on is that Penn State's backup quarterback situation just isn't very good. And I know that there's, you know, everyone's the point to Oklahoma where Caleb Williams came in for Spencer Adler and led the comeback against Texas. And that's great. There's just not a lot of those uh, things that are going to happen across college football. I mean, everyone wanted Will Levis last year. And I understand that Kentucky's being successful, but he's not lighting the world on fire. And that seems to be missed every time that comes up. He has so almost as many interceptions as touchdowns. So, like, as a passer, it's been up and down. Eight, eight and six. Yeah, yeah, eight and six. And he doesn't even have a thousand passing yards yet this year. So, I mean, hey, they're six and oh, it would be fun to kind of see a bowl game between these two sides just for the heck of it. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, it's a you don't 
I guess my biggest problem with some of the the narrative and the social media talk I'm seeing is that uh, what, where did this expectation come from that your backup quarterback's going to come in and save the day? And why is that the expectation? To Especially a tongue of Aloha in the national championship game, it makes it okay. seem it make but it makes it seem like everyone can do that. It makes right. it seem it's like when you have those situations that everyone should be prepared. And, and yeah, I, I agree with you there. I just, uh, David, it looks like you want to chime in, so I'll just make this point quick. But I, I just guess that's where it's frustrating to me because I don't know how many different ways I can say it. You know, everyone wanted Christian Vayor or Taquan Roberson to win the job back in August. And yep. coming out of spring practice, it was like, look, everyone, it ain't going to happen. This is Penn State's best option. So now there's this amazing surprise that the, one of the guys who was way behind the starter couldn't come in on the road. You know, if this happened at Rutgers or Maryland or <laughs> Illinois, I'd get some of the reaction. But yeah, at Iowa, just it just is what it is. Yeah, uh, Dave, your thoughts? Yeah, and and I guess we know that they looked for a backup quarterback, right? Yep. They look. It's not like they thought that this situation was fine, and you know they were just willing to go into the season with what they had. It's it's difficult to get anybody who is an upgrade on what you already have to come in and be the backup, right? Yeah. It's it's not an easy thing to do. I don't know why there's this perception that quality backup quarterbacks who are maybe a step down from Sean Clifford, but not that far a step down, just grow on trees and you can just grab them, you know, like wherever. It's It doesn't make any who, sense to me. Who's the Nick Foles of the NCAA? Uh, like, where are you going to find that guy who that will come in every year under, you know, and just be the backup quarterback that you sit there and go, yeah, he won a Super Bowl. You know, yeah. he, won, he won a national championship. It's fine. He can be the backup to our guy. Right. If, if, if you're Alabama, maybe that's okay. Maybe you can get somebody to agree with a situation uh, like that. But, you know, I mean, quality quarterbacks want to play football. Breaking news. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it, I, I, they're not going to come into this situation where – they're the nailed-on backup quarterback um, at, at Penn State. It's just not its not happening. And, and if you want to say, oh, well, Penn State should have fought harder for Will Levis and, and some of the other guys that have left, like, I, I guess. I, I can't really refute yeah. that. But it, it just doesn't seem like there's a strong argument to be made that Penn State's backup quarterback situation should be better and we should be really angry about it. I just I don't get it. Yeah. Uh, so I'll I'll give one last thought. I know I've get, we've given one last thought three separate times on this situation. But do you think Nick Saban wants to be playing a true freshman quarterback this year? Do you think that given any option, he would be playing a veteran quarterback and letting his five star guys sit? This is the reality you live in now. Like this is the reality that every team. There's just varying circumstances of how good the guy is that's your lead guy. That's just kind of how it is. So uh, Dave asks, Penn State was clearly the better team. Uh, three weeks to prepare. How close can Roberson get to being able to run the offense as well? We kind of covered this, but he's assuming that this is going to be Taquan Roberson going forward. Um, what I, I, Do you think that this is going to be a viable situation for Penn State? Or is this kind of a, I call this dead in the water. In, at, at the Iowa game, do they have to be that going forward, uh, Dave? Quickly, we'll we'll get through this with you. No, I don't think so because there's there's so much of a difference between entering a game against one of the best de defenses in the country on the road in prime time when you've had very little time to prepare, and you know 
facing Illinois with two weeks to prepare when you know you're going to start, assuming that's the situation, which again, I'm not sure if that's a valid assumption or not. So that's, I, I think it's just different. It's not, it's not the same situation. So I think it'll look better, whether it's going to be amazing. I don't know, but I, I don't think it's going to be a huge deal. So let's move on to a different position. Let's talk about literally anything else other than the quarterbacks. We spent 25 minutes on those, rightfully so. But the offensive line, how do you evaluate their performance on Saturday? Uh, Greg, what, what was your thought of how they played uh, before and after Clifford's injury? Well, I mean, I think a couple of people have asked about it in the chat already, that how do you have eight false starts? I mean, that just... And that's where I think people get frustrated and throw around the ready term, and I think it's fair. I just – it makes absolutely no uh, sense to me how that was such an issue. I know you're on the road. You know, James Franklin was his quote. We didn't have issues with the crowd noise when Sean was in there, and, you know, I, I forget exactly how he put it. But uh, why did that happen when Taquan Roberson came in? I don't know. Uh, but what I do know is that it was a major problem. And the offensive line, I, you know, I, I was probably a little too harsh on them in the postgame report card. I just felt like there were times when they were pretty good. And again, they weren't bad toward the later part of this game because Iowa wasn't sending pressure. They just said, yeah, we're going to drop eight or seven or whatever and yep. go ahead and throw it. Um, so probably maybe a little bit better than what my initial post-game report card reaction uh, entailed. But, yeah, the false starts is what everyone's going to rightly point to as the biggest problem for them coming out of this game. And, and yet again, I mean, the rushing total numbers are hideous. I mean, I don't know what other word to use. That's probably harsh, but I wrote it this morning. After six weeks, you have rushing totals of 50, 240, 84, 80, 209, 107. And if you take out the quarterback rushing numbers, it gets even worse. Yeah. So, and that's not just the offensive line because they're not getting much help from others who are supposed to be blocking and the running backs aren't always doing their job. So it's a unit-wide problem that Mike Yersich must spend the next week trying to fix. Well, I guess the the question is physicality problem. That, that's what I keep going back to, T. Frank. Is it? What's this? This is. Dude, I think it's a more of a physicality problem. I, I do. I think that yeah. we've heard James Franklin for so long talk. I mean, you're the X's nose expert. You're, you can break this down better than anyone. But to me, schematically and things like that, yeah, you could probably do it better. But when you have receivers coming in to crash on a block and they don't really touch a guy, like yeah. the touchdown that Noah Kane scored, Jahan Dotson came down and never touched anyone. And that guy almost stopped Noah Kane short. And I don't know, maybe it wasn't his job. Maybe somebody else was supposed to be there. Maybe they had a numbers overload. But I just watched him really come down and not touch anyone. The tight ends whiff on blocks all the time. And yeah. the offensive line doesn't always get that nasty, mean push up front to open things up. So, yeah. If so, that's the problem, I don't know how you scheme around it. So it's it's how do you operate the offense? And this, again, kind of leads back to the conversation about the quarterback is you need to protect him. So, okay, who are best pass protectors? Find those guys, and then can we teach those guys to run block? Because there are bigger, stronger physical guys you would presume – um, just based on size, literally just based on their listed numbers on the depth chart, to be to be on the offensive line. But Juice Scruggs is a better athlete, better pass blocker, probably better in the outside zone system where he can actually get those reach blocks. He actually has taken a bit of a step forward. But I was taking a long look at Mike Miranda and like, what is the issue? Because he's over 300 pounds. He was a, a good guard. When it comes to how he blocks, his hips are never engaged. 
he leans on players and and never actually comes through into the block. Now, I don't know if that's coaching. I've watched my I've watched uh Phil Troutwine coach. It's not like he doesn't emphasize these details, but if you just can't get a guy to do it because he doesn't want to lose the block and he doesn't want to lose his man, I don't really know what to tell you about that. Eric Wilson was brought into the program. He was a tackle at Harvard. He was not able to weight train because Harvard didn't play football last year. So he's 300-ish pounds on a bigger frame, and he can't move people. But these guys have done a very good job, especially the interior, of being pass blockers. And in that game, when Sean Clifford was healthy, they were not giving up pressure. And and when there was pressure, it was a blitz. Sean Clifford was hurt, by the way, in the pocket on a blitz. So Iowa was forced to do something they didn't want to do, which is bring five guys after the quarterback because the Penn State offensive line was holding up. So, you know, it's it's about you, you have to make decisions. And are you going to put a guy in there in pass protection that you know is going to get beat, that you absolutely know is going to get beat, or are you going to put guys in there that can you know, hopefully we can scheme up or we can get a couple of runs to hit and work with these guys that we can trust in one facet of the game. It's it's not a good proposition when you can't be good at both, but that's where they find themselves this year with C.J. Thorpe transferring out of the program is they, they lost their biggest, most physical guy, Sal Wormley, out for the season. You know, that's what it is. It is, you're right, it's a physicality issue. And Dave, that's the question can they fix that through scheme, technique, or anything? Are there any fixes to that now that the question at quarterback is up in the air? Yeah, I mean, they have the athlete. I think that they have the athletes to to run block effectively. There, there, there's something that isn't clicking. And look, you're you're more equipped to to point that out than I am. You're the X's and O's guy. But but you know, I, I think if they do have to to change the offense then that's going to have to improve. And and I think we should probably be talking about the tight ends a little bit more in this aspect than we are, right? Uh, Greg pointed out, they whiff all the time. Penn State does not have good blocking tight ends. Um, you know, James Franklin says, we effectively recruit big wide receivers to play tight end, right? Just going to chime in and say that. They recruit yeah. receivers. Yeah. So Mike Kosicki wasn't any good at that, but he was good at catching a ball 30 yards down the field. By the way, that's still what he does in the NFL. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So is, is Theo Johnson all of a sudden going to be this this great run blocking tight end? I have my doubts. Is Brenton Strange going to do that? Not sure. Uh, I think I don't have the PFF numbers in front of me. I think Tyler Warren is actually their best blocker. I would believe uh, that among among the three tight ends. Uh, so maybe we see more of him. I don't know. But um, I do think that's something that's going to going to have to change because I, I really think they're going to run the ball more. Um, it's at, given what we saw from from Taekwon. Maybe not, but that's that's just what my gut says. So they're going to have to to figure that out fast. Are there things you can do, or or what would you, Greg? What would you do if you can't fix the offensive line proper? Are there things that you would do, or or what would you try? What would you throw up against the wall to see if you can get some more efficiency out of your running game? Yeah, it's a great question without a great answer. I mean, again, you have other blockers besides offensive linemen who don't always do their job. So asking those guys to do their job more would be great. But, 
you don't have necessarily replacements at any of these spots who are ready to come in and do it better. I think that's just the, the fact of the matter is that, you know, we don't know how long John Lovett and Devin Ford are out as running backs. And what does that mean for this offense moving forward? We don't know uh, if there's really any alternative to the top four at receiver. It certainly, certainly doesn't seem like it. I'm not sure you want to take any of those guys off the field anyway, but it's going to be more of the screens, more of the quick passes. I, that's really the only option that you see and that's why you see it all the time i know that there were some message board posts uh, over the weekend with people frustrated by how often penn state goes to that but if you can't run the ball and you can't hold up long enough in the pass protection side of things then you better get it out as quick as you can and just let your fast guys run fast that's it's <laughs> simple but not the only way i can think of fixing it and just hope that teams don't start sitting on that or if they do you're able to exploit them elsewhere so We'll see. Um, it's not a particularly splendid situation, but it also feels like we're maybe, and I think this is what happens after every loss, but I think that some of the conversation we're having is uh, a little bit to the point of the, acting like this team isn't 5-1 and one and didn't just lose by three points against the top five team or number two team in the country. Um, you know, they did, and they almost yeah. won that. So I think that's important to to keep in mind as well as the perspective here is that, yeah, they're not doing some things as well as we think they should be. And we don't know if they're going to have the best part of the offense that, that they can. But at the same time, they're still 5-1 and one heading into that midway point of the season. There are just not many people out there who thought that was possible. Dave, uh, through six games so far this season, Jahan Dotson has been held under 100 yards receiving uh, in four of those games, he's gone over 100 twice. Have teams figure out figured out how to stop Jahan Dotson? No, I don't think so. Um, I I think what you saw from him it, against Iowa was more of a function of again the quarterback than it was anything that he was doing wrong. Um, I, I I don't I don't think so. Jahan Dotson is still making plays. Um, he had a touchdown I think in six straight games before this week. Jahan, Jahan Dotson is, is Jahan Dotson uh, to an extent. You know, maybe Penn State's depending on him a little bit less this season. That's possible. You know, they have some some other playmakers who, you know, we feel pretty good about. But I, I don't I don't think that just because maybe the yardage isn't isn't as crazy as it was last season that teams are figuring him out. I think I think he's been a very important asset to Penn State's offense the entire year. Uh, by the way, if you got any questions, uh, we're taking your questions today on the BWI Live Monday show. We're recapping Penn State's 23-20 to loss to Iowa. Spent a lot of time today. If you're joining us late talking about the quarterbacks, we've addressed the backup quarterback situation, the false start situation, Sean Clifford, some questions moving forward. We're kind of moving through the other position groups as we go throughout the show. So if we welcome any questions and if you want to use the super chat function, more than happy to, uh, to assist you with that. And thank you for everyone who's donated so far. So Keandre Lambert Smith played pretty well. I think early in this game, have you seen a step forward from him, Greg? And is that going to be something getting more guys involved at the receiver position that's possible now, if we don't know who the quarterback is, or is this going to become very dependent on then your best players? at those skill positions. Keandre Lambert-Smith has been a really nice surprise for me. I think that there's still some consistency things play in and play out that once he gets those in order, he will be the best version of himself or at least close to it, but he's pretty darn good so far. I mean, you know, I think one of the more interesting things is that 
Penn State uh, came into this season, we knew about Washington, we knew about Dotson, but you didn't know about any of the other, uh, you know, receivers after that, whether it would be Keandre Lambert-Smith to step up, Daniel George, Cam Sullivan-Brown, what have you. But outside of Cam Sullivan-Brown, Keandre Lambert-Smith and the two starters, there's a pretty good drop-off. So you need a Keandre Lambert-Smith to step up the way he did, and he has. So I think it's been a positive start to the season for him. Are there any other players that you're looking at, Greg, as far as the skill positions that you think are going to be important moving forward for Penn State uh, on on the depth chart? And we haven't addressed the running back situation. Are there any guys there, given the new injury news from James Franklin post-practice, as, as Greg has talked about with both? He say Devin Ford as well as uh, uh, John Lovett being injured in the Iowa game? Yep. Yeah. yeah I, and I don't know. And I don't know what happened to those guys. Love it. If I'm not mistaken, returned the opening kickoff or was on the field for it. And then in, this hack, in the second half, he was in street clothes with Sean Clifford. So that was confusing. I'm not 100 percent sure yeah. what happened. There. All I can assume is that he went through warm ups, felt fine and went out there for that one play. And whatever was ailing him must have felt so bad after that, that it was going to be a no go. Devin Ford, same thing. I, I didn't catch what uh, part of the game that he was hidden so you know we'll see how that works out long yeah. term and but there's some of those hidden special teams plays that everyone's flying around the field we don't necessarily get to see in depth and I'm wondering if that might be you know on a punt return or something like that where somebody was injured but yeah let me just address one of the things in the chat here um uh, Steve will ask about uh or Steve oh I would I don't know uh Sorry if I mispronounced that, but, you know, uh, this prevailing thought that Kevon Lee needs to, to get the ball more, don't disagree, but I guess my biggest challenge so far, and we heard Mike Yersich talk about this a little bit the other day, but no one steps up and takes control, and including yeah. him. I mean, he'll have moments where he looks like the best ball carrier and then moments where he doesn't. And again, I think it's important to remember that James Franklin and the offensive coaching staff are not sitting in lash saying, you know what? Kevon Lee has seemed like our most effective running back. Let's not play him. You know, right. there's a reason that they can't get anyone going. And, and, you know, the response there now I see is that the rotation is killing them. And I wouldn't disagree with that. Um, but at the same time, I think that there's uh, there's moments where Noah Kane looks like an old self. And then there's moments where it's like, wow, he's playing through something. And then so, you know, if if – you want, you know, Kevon Lee to be the main guy, that's fine, but he needs to show he can be because yeah. right now none of those guys are, and that's the problem. So I agree with the point to an extent. I still just need to see more. I'm not in the camp that a lot of people are at this point where it's Kevon Lee, Kevon Lee, run 24 all game, every game. I need to see a little bit more, but I wouldn't disagree that he has the talent to take over and has had moments where he is, you know, very, very good. Uh, he had, Dave? yeah, he had yeah. three yards of carry <laughs> on Saturday, you know, yeah. right? I mean, those aren't like, maybe he was Penn State's best running back uh, from that perspective, but it's, you know, like it's, it's not, it, the numbers aren't huge in his favor either. Yeah. So it, it's, it's again, like Greg said, there's reasons for this stuff. If you could give Kevon Lee's legs to Noah Kane. The, the offense would be fine from a running perspective. The, whatever's going on with Noah Kane and his his lower body or the leg drive that isn't there, that's affecting his effectiveness. And I've talked about this a, a billion times so far this season of he's a power back that clearly has no power in his lower body. Kevon Lee 
uh, all of the skills that Noah Kane has from decision making at the at the at the cut point to his ability to to make decisive moves in the hole, his agility, his vision is the biggest thing that Noah Kane brings to the table and why they haven't been able to sit him and let him get healthy because they need him in those situations to find the hole, cut into it and get 4 yards, just fall forward for the 4 yards. That's what it that's what the game was reduced to in the second half of don't lose yards, get two or three, let's set up third and four and then see if we can find something, either run or pass. Just don't lose yards. That's what the that's what the game plan was when Taquan Roberson was facing Iowa. Kevon well, Lee struggles so, to find those holes and make those decisions. That's why he's not getting more carries. Yes, and I agree with that 100%. And just from an, you made me think of something that's a very good overall standpoint. Nate was really hammering this on our drive back to Chicago on Sunday morning. But, you know, if Penn State doesn't have a chop block penalty followed by a false start. If they don't consistently, I know Iowa kept pinning them deep and then they would pin themselves even deeper. So yeah. Jordan Stout was punting out of his, uh, literally a own end zone. Uh, sometimes on the goal line, sometimes at the back of the goal, at the back of the uh, end zone. And, that, you know, if Penn State gains just a few more yards, they win this game, I think, on field position alone. And we're talking about this in a much different context. So I just felt like throwing that out there as well. So let's move on to the defense, and this is something, again, that's come up in the chat as well. Tariq Castrofield, start here. Uh, should Penn State fans be concerned about their senior cornerback and his play so far? Dave, what are your thoughts? Um, I'm, I'm guessing the, the thing that's bringing up that question is is the missed tackle that he had for, I think it was like a 40-yard game or something. Not great. But if, if you look at his his coverage numbers for the season, right, he's been he's been targeted 20, 29 times. He's allowed 14 receptions for 183 yards. So I, that's pretty good. I, I, I'm, I'm not worried about Tariq Castro Fields from a coverage standpoint. Does he miss a tackle every now and again? Yes. But I also think Penn State fans are maybe a little bit spoiled by what they see on the other side of the field with Joey Porter Jr., who is a phenomenal tackler for, for a corner. Um, I'm not concerned about Tariq Castro-Fields. I think he's an asset. And even if he wasn't, I think there are some guys behind him that can play at this level if you need to make that switch. But certainly that is not a position where I have any concern for Penn State really at all. Greg, uh, Jaquan Brisker is, aside from a nagging shoulder injury that doesn't seem to be getting better, but doesn't seem to be getting any worse, uh, and you have uh, Jair Brown, who at the point of the start of the game last week was was tied for the lead in interceptions of the Big Ten, and Joey Porter Jr., as Dave just mentioned, is Tariq Castrofields being the victim of being the weak link in a, in a very good secondary, or are there actual, are there real concerns about his play in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, Peter hits the nail on the head in the chat. I mean, the tackling's the biggest issue. He is in a place right now where he just doesn't always wrap up well enough. It's a lot of throw, throw, shoulder throwing, rather. Um, it's a lot of just it, it, he's close, but it's not close enough, and that leads to I think he's one of the higher percentage missed tackle guys this season. He has like seven, and I think Brandon Smith might have eight, something in that ballpark. And that doesn't sound like a lot, but when they come in key moments, as the one did against the Hawkeyes, they stand out in a big, big way. So, you know, again, I guess the answer to that question is probably it's uh, is that I think it probably is. Well, if he was uh, the if there wasn't a Joey Porter Jr. or Jaquan Brisker or Jair Brown or even a Daquan Hardy, I think that 
we probably would view Tariq Castrofields in a different way. Teams aren't always throwing his way, and I think that's important to point out as well. He's playing better than I think what many fans will give him credit for, but the reason that there's criticism is because in the bigger moments or when a big stop has to be made, he's probably not the guy you want in the position to have to do it. Yeah. At least from a tackling standpoint. Ball Playing the ball, different story. But from a tackling standpoint, if there's two yards to the first down – I think there's probably better options on the roster for that situation. And to your point, some of the bigger plays uh, late in the game, I believe it was against Auburn where he gave up those easy yards underneath, didn't make the tackle, let the guy get out to the sideline, uh, was beaten on a couple double moves that weren't completed. So there are some things, you know, and I think what Dave pointed out is that some of it may be lucky one way, some of it may be lucky another, but he's playing well enough so far this season certainly is not the reason that this uh, this defense was uh, in position to lose that game, I don't think, in, in the game against um, Iowa. So let me ask you then the follow-up question of, that defense almost created a living memory of a, of a game against Iowa where they were basically the only side of the football playing for Penn State, playing the entire game in the second half, essentially. And they come up just short, especially the secondary with the blown coverage at the end by Jair Brown to give up the touchdown. How do you view the performance of the defense in that light, Dave? I I tweeted, actually. It it was like, for my hockey fans out there, it was like a 30-minute long penalty kill where the uh, the other team keeps coming into the zone and you've got to, you've just got to get the puck out any way that you can, because you know, you're not going to do anything on the attack. Uh, so it, it was, I thought they played well, guys. I mean, I, I really have a hard time criticizing anything about Penn State's defense in, in that game. Look, was the, the blown coverage a problem and, you know, the thing that lost in the game, I guess, but generally I, <laughs> You know, they limited Iowa to 300 total yards. They were uh, backed up in the shadow of their own end zone. Like, it felt like the whole second half. Iowa scored on five drives. Three of those drives were um, started in Penn State territory. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I I just have a hard time getting on the defense in in any way. I thought they they played about as well as they could have given the situation. If you want to say, you know... Maybe you'd like to see them come up with a turnover um, in, in the second half there to, to to maybe change the game a little bit. But this is this isn't an Iowa offense that gives you opportunities to do that very much. So I, I really can't I can't get on them. I thought they played really well. Uh, quick aside here, Greg. I'm gonna just like asking James Franklin this question, which is basically a burned question. Do we have an update on PJ Mustafer after the game with his injury? Other than the fact that he was on crutches, no. Do want to take this chance, though, to dispel what I guess came from the TV broadcast, which said he walked off on his own. Uh, he yeah. did, most certainly did not. Uh, he was helped to the sideline by trainers, went immediately to the injury tent. I can't say with 100% certainty if he ever went to the locker room prior to halftime, but Regardless of that, he came out of the locker room after halftime on crutches. So that's what we know at this point. Obviously, you don't get crutches if things are rosy and good. So, I mean, sometimes it's precautionary more than anything else, but do not have a great sense for what 
what more they will get out of P.J. Mustapher this year. Fingers crossed it's something that he can come back from. Fingers crossed that it's just maybe a week or two of rest, relaxation, ice, whatever, and he's good to go. But certainly the fact that he was on crutches is not ideal. Yeah, I and uh, speculating about injury, always a dicey thing. Uh, but yeah, it's what, what everybody wants, and it's the right. worst thing you can possibly do. It really right. is. Number one, it sets up this false sense of possibilities one way or the other. Yep. If we sit here and tell you what we think it is, and then it's, you know, we could be on the right side of it, and the guy's out for exactly the amount of time we think because he has the exact injury we think, or we could be super wrong, which either sets up people to think the guy's going to come back sooner than he is, and then that people will complain about that. Or if we think he's out too long and he's back sooner, then people will wonder, well, what actually was the problem with him? So, and you know, one thing, uh, Lauren, I, Larson, Lauren, I see the yeah. comment there about Will Levis going. I was going to gonna bring that up. Yeah, we'll get to that. Um, yeah, he did leave on his own accord, and good for him. He went to Kentucky and is making the most of it, and the Wildcats are thriving. And again, I think so. One said it earlier, but I think Dave did. You know, quarterbacks want to play. They want yeah. to play. And if they can't, don't feel like they're going to be able to somewhere. They will go somewhere where they can. And so the other thing is going back to where this conversation was. I've tried to turn this chat function off. I just keep looking at those. <laughs> but uh, thanks for – no, seriously, though, thanks, everyone, for joining us um, and leaving your thoughts and interacting with us. But, you know, everyone wants an update on Sean Clifford, on PJ Mustafer, on all of these other guys. And we do, too. But we have all been doing this long enough, and those of you who have been following us know James Franklin is very uh, not going to offer that up, and yeah. he will offer it up only if it's season-ending. And if not, he is going to allow Illinois and everybody else Penn State plays to continue preparing for Sean Clifford and Taquan Roberson or P.J. Mustafer and Koziah Izzard and Devon Ellie. So – they have a pretty straightforward way about going, you know, dealing with this stuff. And I know that it's the quarterback, so the patience for that is tested for a lot of people. But just don't get your hopes up about getting a clear update at any point, and especially yeah. during the bye week, because yeah. James Franklin's almost certainly only going to talk once, and he will be asked about all of these injured players, and he will not say anything about them unless one of them is season-ending. So, so let's just set that expectation down. So, Dave, Pardon? let's talk about oh, – sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was just going to say that, uh, remember the last time Penn State had a quarterback in, uh, injury, um, Trace McSorley, I believe, before Michigan. Well, that was before he got hurt in the bowl game. But the, James Franklin was just so angry about being asked about it because he's not going to say anything. And he was asked like three or four times during the week. And eventually he just lost it on somebody. I forget who it was. So uh, he is not going to reveal that information. <laughs> unless, yeah. yeah, it's just not happening. So going off of the P.J. Mustford discussion, losing one of the most important parts of your defense, a guy, again, I've cited this before in a couple of different places, was leading the nation coming into that game in tackles for an interior defender and was second in the number of stops, according to PFF, so he's making plays on the other side of the line of scrimmage. He goes out five plays in. How do you guys feel the the young defensive tackles, Devon Ellis, Kaziah Izzard, stepped up in his place? Dave, what were your thoughts on, on the defensive line having to adjust without P.J. Mustafer. Yeah, I, I guess you look at Iowa's rushing numbers, right? They And this is including everybody, quarterbacks, uh, sacks, that kind of stuff. 45 attempts, 110 yards, 2.5 yards per carry. You look at just uh, Tyler Goodson, who we think is a really good running back, 26 attempts, 79 yards, 3 yards a carry. 
that's not very good. So it, even without PJ Mustafer, you have to feel good about what Penn State's defensive line was able to do against the run. Um, I don't think that they were great at pressuring Spencer Petrus. Um, certainly they had their moments, and I think a lot of those came from blitz packages, which we know Brent, Brent Pry loves. I think uh, they blitz on like 45, 50% of their plays, which everybody who talks about Penn State's defense points out, and, and Kirk Ferentz did that after the game. Um, yeah, I, I, from from a defensive line specific point, though, I, I don't, I don't really think you can complain. I thought Penn State's second options did pretty well to limit the rushing game. Um, again, maybe you'd like to see more from a pass rush perspective, but they got a sack from Arnold Evikiti, um, I believe. And then, so yeah, I don't, I don't think you can really harp on it too much. I thought it was pretty good given the circumstances. Uh, Greg, uh, on the pass rushing side of things, are you concerned about the availability of pressure outside of the blitz packages? Is Arnold Ebikiti, who's having a great season, is he enough to carry the Penn State pass rush when they need to get home with four if they want to and not become you know, pretty obvious of when they're going to pressure with more than that? Yeah, I mean, I think between him and Luketa, they're in pretty good shape. Jesse Luketa was wonderful in this game, just wonderful. I mean, he was constantly chasing guys down, and I think he was probably overlooked in this game uh, because of the way it played out. But, yeah, he was tremendous. Arnold ebiketti has been tremendous. And the fact that I thought for sure that when P.J. Mustafer went out, Tyler Linderbaum, the all-American center for Iowa, who could be a top 10 pick, was going to take over that game, and he really didn't. So that says a lot to me about where Devon Ellis and Kazai is that are impressive stuff for those guys. Obviously, Derek Cangelo played well, too. But, yeah, I don't have any real issues about Penn State's four-man pass rush at this point in time. Is that um... – from from the I'm sorry from the blitz perspective, did you see an improvement in that group or or uh, an improvement in the way they played? I guess because I did. I, Curtis Jacobs to me had a a big game and part that was part of it of being able to legitimately beat tackles. Uh, is that something you expect going forward when they do yes. fold that in, or is that a, a product of Iowa's tackles were not good in pass protection? Do you think that's a well, legit not- step forward? Yeah, they're not as good as past Iowa offensive lines. There's simply no question about that. But um, I do think that – and, Dave, I'll throw this to you. I'm not sure if this was for you or me. So I just Sorry, I was distracted by uh, a question in the chat, and I just I, – I wasn't expecting you to stop talking. So thank you for saving me. <laughs> you got it. So, yeah, I mean, I think at this point that that Curtis Jacobs, you're starting to see Brent Pry unlock him a little bit as he yeah. picks up more of his uh, – fundamental skills and things like that. So, yeah, you're going to see more of that. There's no doubt in my mind. Uh, Dave, you, you gave us your thoughts early on on the pass rush and on the run defense. From a linebacker perspective, shifting uh, to, you know, Curtis Jacobs, Brandon Smith, Els Brooks, how much did they do on Saturday to keep Penn State in the game? Um, I thought that might have been Penn State's best unit on the field, period, in this game. I thought Ellis Brooks was really good, just just really good. That might have been Ellis Brooks's best game um, for for Penn State, and it feels like we've said that a couple times this season, and he keeps topping it. And for for me, he was a question mark heading into the season, and I feel stupid for thinking that now because he's been <laughs> awesome. Um, <laughs> but then you know, Brandon Smith had a pretty good game. I thought Curtis Jacobs, as as you and Greg pointed out, was phenomenal. So yeah, I thought Penn State's linebackers were really good in this game. 
Uh, and and uh, Ellsbrook's playing with a cast on, which was new mm-hmm. pregame. I know, Greg, you were reporting that before the game. Was there any sort of follow-up? Did you ask him about that or anything? I know this is, falls in the bucket of injuries, but given there's literally a cast, was there a story or anything associated with that, uh, either after the game or you know from James or anything like that? Yeah, uh, somebody asked him about it, and I believe it was phrased as, um, you know, it wasn't even like we, it wasn't asking for an update because he wasn't going to give one, but it was more about like how it impacted his ability to play or whether it impacted it, which based on the day that he had, it did not. But his lone response was, uh, we're not supposed to talk about that kind of stuff. So I have no comment. So uh, <laughs> there you go. A player with a cast on, literally in front of reporters with a cast on. What are you talking about? To talk about his injury and health situation. So if you think you're going to find out about Sean Clifford or PJ Mustaford, if it's not season ending, I got bad news for you. Yeah, uh, it's basically like I don't know what you're talking about. My hand is fine. Uh, by the right. way, I believe either zero or just one missed tackle from a guy with a cast on his hand. And yes, uh, you know, from the film review, I do a breakdown of him specifically on the defensive side of just how good he was on Saturday. So Ellis Brooks. And, and and yeah, uh, he was kind of a question mark seeing as how bad he was in 2020, but generally he's stopped trying to make up for other people's mistakes and he's playing quick, smart, decisive football. And those are all his strengths. And we're seeing kind of what the player he could become when we saw him early on the field. Uh, Tyler is in our chat. He, he throws us this question. Tyler, uh, if you want to go back and watch the beginning of the show, we kind of talked about this, but we can touch on it quickly again. We spend a good half of the show talking about the offense and take Roberson. Uh, I don't know if we address it specifically this way, given we talked about kind of in vague terms of what the offense could look like. What is the ceiling of this team with Roberson, if he is the center, the starter under center going forward. Dave, what are your thoughts about that when it comes to all the things that they have put in place by being five and one and a top 10 team at this point? Yeah, I, I, I guess I would like to see him start a game that he's prepared for um, before I, I really dive too far into that. But Penn State's defense can win a lot of these games for, for Penn State, if Penn State doesn't turn the ball over and Penn State does enough, um, they're going to have to get the running game going a little bit for that to happen, I think. But, you know, do I think they're going to go beat Ohio State on the road with with Taquan Roberson? Probably not, um, if, if that's the situation that we encounter here. But could they win most of the other games on their schedule? Probably. Um, I, I'm not saying that I think that they will, but I think I don't think there's a game that's not winnable. Um outside of Ohio State, um, uh, if, if Roberson is the starter. You know, Michigan comes to town. You got to go to Michigan State. Those are tough games, but with the defense that Penn State has been playing, I don't feel like they're out of the question. So I, I guess the ceiling, if we're going to use that uh, that terminology, would probably be 10-2 and two for me, just because I, I, I don't think Ohio State is, is happening. Um, but, it, you know, I think they could win those other two tough games. Greg, do you agree with that? Yeah, ceiling would be ten and two. Worst case would be you lose to Ohio State, you lose to uh, Michigan at home, you lose to Michigan State. That would be the worst case. Um, you know, I, I guess, I, and I know we're getting tight on time here, so yeah. I'll try and keep this brief. But you know, two drops went against Taquan Roberson. Uh, you know, he showed some good things with his mobility. Run, run, run would be the name of the game. I think if he had to be the starter long term, but. 
you know, if there's if Brenton Strange doesn't drop two passes, it'd probably go for first downs. Might be talking about this game a little bit differently. Um, you know, they did some nice quick hit things that have blocked a little bit better in front of the guy catching the screen or the flare or whatever. Uh, could have been a little bit better. I mean, I know that, again, I'm not trying to make excuses here or, or, or you know, make it sound like Takon Roberson played some wonderful game because he did not. But if you're going to focus on all of the negatives, then at least pick out a couple of the positives when you're trying to look at what this team can do moving forward if he had to be the guy. is the one thing I will ask people at this point. And it was, it was not a great performance, clearly, but I think there are some obvious things that you could pick out and say, you know what, these are the things we can hang on to if you're a Penn State fan as a positive if he has to play more. Uh, Dave, any final thoughts about this game for you uh, as we put a bow on Penn State and Iowa? Yeah, it just feels uh, it, it feels like two different games to me. Um, and I think you kind of see that reflected in some of the polls, too. Um, I think I think Penn State is still ahead of unbeaten Michigan in the AP poll. Uh, if Penn State had lost this game with, with Sean Clifford under center, I don't think that would be the case. But, yeah, it just feels it, it feels like it shouldn't count. <laughs> you know, it kind of feels that way. It does mm-hmm. count. Um, and and there might be some circumstances that Penn State has to deal with moving forward, but it uh, just feels like an opportunity that was taken away from Penn State through circumstances that were pretty much, uh, you know, not in its control. Uh, Greg, final thoughts? Wrap up the show for us here. What are you thinking about as Penn State exits this game into their bye week? Don't waste it. Do not let Iowa beat you twice is really how I look at it. Um, You have to be at your best in terms of recovery, in terms of rehab, in terms of doing whatever it takes for the guys who are going to have to step into roles. If look, I mean, because obviously they know in Lash what's up with Clifford and Mustafer and everybody else. So those guys have to be ready to take any steps that they have to if they're going to be asked to play more on offense and defense. So. Just don't let Iowa beat you twice. You know, get in there, get the film study done. Obviously, these guys deserve a little bit of a breather, right? I mean, it's been a grueling six weeks, so definitely building some time for that too. But don't let the sting of this loss put you in a position where you're not ready for Illinois week coming out of the bye is my big takeaway right now. Yeah, and I think that's a fair point. You got to make sure you use this opportunity to have a hard reset. If you're the coaching staff as well, do some self scouting, look outside the box. And if you do have to play without Sean Clifford for any time, this is the moment to make those plans. And I'm not saying install a new offense, but have a plan going forward for how you're going to play against Illinois and going forward with your new quarterback, Taquan Roberson. That'll do it for the BWI Live Monday show. Thanks to everyone who showed up today. This was a ton of fun, a lot of activity in the chat. Thanks for all the people that donated the channel with the super chats we'll be back again uh on here on youtube with the bwi daily edition that'll be coming up monday through friday on youtube of course bwi.rivals.com for more stuff from dave and from greg i'm your host thomas frank carr we'll talk to you then